Okay, don't look at your outlines yet. <laughs> I know that just made it a lot harder not to look at your outline. Um, I want to ask the question, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the question, what does it mean to be holy? So just think about that for like a second, but not too hard, and don't give me the answer that you think I want to hear. Just what is your natural response to the question, what does it mean to be holy? I want to hear from like three or four people. If you're ready, you can raise your hand. Yeah. I think the temple veil, the ancient Jewish tradition of the priest entering the veil and all the sacrifices, the place behind the veil is the holy sanctuary. Great. Yeah, the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant was the holy of holies. Yeah, you don't, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, to be perfect. I think that's something we often think of when we think of holiness. Set apart. Yeah. I always thought before we came here, which was um, holiness is being closer to God. Holiness is being closer to God. Awesome. Yeah. A pious, glowing saint filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> a pious, glowing saint filled with the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Okay. So, um, kind of a range of responses. Um, and I think there's a few different ways that we can look at what is holiness. I wanted to share a little bit of my personal testimony of what my journey of thinking about what it means to be holy. Uh, when I was in high school, um, I was very much living a double life. I was involved, really heavily involved in my youth group. But I was super heavily involved with everything but my youth group and partying and the hookup culture and all of this stuff. Um, I was very attached to that part of my life, um, I could not reconcile in my mind how they could be merged or how I could be really worthy of the time that I was spending in, at my youth group and all these things. And <clears throat> my friends who I looked at and said they're holy because they don't sin the way that I do or they're holy because they do all these things or they're in leadership or they, um, they know so much more about their faith. And before my senior year of high school, uh, I had hit really rock bottom in my trying to live a double life and trying to find happiness from what I was doing and what the world was telling me that was going to fulfill me. And I remember a friend of mine saying, Alyssa, you're only going to find happiness and fulfillment and security and all these things that you're looking for in a real relationship with Jesus. And I think that I had probably heard similar things before, but I was really ready at that point to hear it and to receive that. And the next day, I remember really praying for the first time. I had prayed so many prayers at church and at youth group and in my home. I had prayed so many prayers and never really from the heart. And the first time I really prayed from the heart um, was the next day. And I prayed, Lord, I have nothing to give you. I have no merits of my own. I haven't done much good, really, truly, from my heart. But I'm going to give you what I have, and I want to see what happens. I'm going to give you what I have because I have nowhere else to turn. And my life started to radically change. Um, a few weeks later, I went on a mission trip that I had been on before down to New Orleans. Um, and 
I received baptism in the Holy Spirit without even knowing that that is what happened in my life. And I remember after that point thinking, oh, wow, okay, there's no turning back. My life is different. I am different. I remember going into, like, this room of all my peers and being like, they, do they know? Do they know that my life just totally changed? I felt like it was written on my face. Um, and I started to be more involved in my youth group, and I had decided to go to Franciscan University for college, and I was taking really good steps in my life, but I still had to go to confession on like a weekly basis, and um, I just wrestled with, I, I can never be holy. I can never attain holiness, and I was praying so hard, and I was doing all these things that were good, but I remember the same friend who told me that Jesus wanted a relationship with me and that that would satisfy me, said, holiness isn't necessarily the absence of sin in your life. It's the presence of God. And they were like, you keep getting back up and back up and back up. That means something. That means something. You are holy. You are worthy. You have a relationship with Jesus. And just hearing that, I'm totally rocked me and set me on a path of knowing that no matter what, the Lord was pursuing me and the Lord loved me. And then I went to college. Um, I had no idea that anything like SPO existed at all, but I knew that I was so fresh in my faith that if I didn't go somewhere that was going to support my faith, there was, I was not going to have a shot at maintaining a relationship with Jesus. And so I went to Franciscan and it was awesome. If you don't know about Franciscan, it's just like it's awesome. There's nothing else like it. It's extremely unique. Um, everyone, basically, I think it's like 99% of people are like very involved with their faith and their relationship with Jesus. Uh, it's very small also. So you know everybody. You see the same people multiple times a day, every day. And it's very, very, very culturally Catholic. And it was awesome. I learned, I studied theology which was great because I had tuned out all of my religious education classes my whole life. So I didn't know anything about Jesus, like, at all. Um, and I encountered brothers and sisters for the first time who showed me real love and real acceptance. And these women um, who were in my household wanted to be friends with me, even if I wasn't doing, like, I didn't have to earn their friendship. They just loved me. It was really amazing. I think what can happen, though, when you're in such a immersive environment is that you can rely on the environment to carry you. And I was growing a ton, and I know that I grew in my relationship with the Lord while I was there. I received a lot of healing from my past, and I needed a lot of healing. But I really let the environment carry me. And there was a lot of opportunity to do a lot of external things, like um, devotions were like the cool thing to do on campus. It's like not the reality at Ohio State. Um, that was like the cool trendy thing to do was to like do this novena or like do this or learn about this. And I was learning rich theology and it was awesome. It was molding my, my mind and my heart. It was great. But then when I left that environment and I came here I think what I experienced, so I wasn't in SPO in college, I learned about SPO, was super attracted to the way of life, basically knew nothing really, though, about SPO, was placed here, 
uh, at Ohio State. I led Ephesus for two years. I came here in 2013. Um, and so I've been here for a while now, and I remember thinking actually my first year, I was like, am I still holy? And it was actually this shift for me, realizing that I had put a lot of weight in the externals. I had put a lot of weight in what I was learning in my classes, which was awesome, and I still try to learn more about my faith. Um, and I was putting a lot of weight in these external things, but now I was in household, and I was leading household, and I was in formation for the first time, so I was hearing the formation teachings for the first time ever. It was putting a context to things that I had never really heard just blatantly expressed before. And I think what I experienced was that I was challenged to actually live the virtue and character that it takes to live the faith that had become so important to me. My faith had become so important to me, but I was actually challenged in this environment, in the context of formation, in the context of my household, in the context of this life, to really be focused in on the essentials, the essential gospel message, the essential fact that Jesus loves me and desires a relationship with me, and the essentials of being a mature Christian and having discipline. For the first time, I was like making my bed every day, or I was doing my dishes and not leaving them for somebody else. I was doing these practices that in my mind was like, this isn't holy, this is just, I don't know what it is, but it's not holiness. But actually, I was learning these virtues that really shaped me. And so I just resonated so much with Andrew's talk. I want to be all in. I, Lord, I want to be all in. And I can hear these high ideals and these things that I want to ascend to, <laughs> that I want to attain. I want to say, yes, um, I want to be all in all my life for the rest of my life. But I struggle a bit with, like, well, what does that mean? What does that mean that I do every day? And how does that affect my day-to-day -day life? And so I want to put a little bit of flesh on what that means for our everyday life. So um, we are all called to holiness. All of us are called to be holy, to be set apart. Someone said that. To be set apart, to be dedicated to God. And this is not a call just for a few Christians. This, there's not like a basic Christian call and then this like elite call. Actually, all Christians are called to be a disciple, and that means that all Christians are called to holiness, called to be set apart, called to be dedicated to God. The Catechism of the Catholic Church says all Christians in any state or walk of life are called to the fullness of Christian life and the perfection of charity. All are called to holiness. There's some more quotes there that, that go into that, that reiterate, we are all called to holiness. Vatican II really emphasized that, re-emphasized that, that all Christians are called to be holy. It's not just priests and pastors and people who work for the church. It's all Christians are called to be holy. But I think in order for us to live out holiness, our minds need to be a bit reformed to what holiness actually means. And we can look to Paul when he says in Romans, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, your spiritual worship. Do not conform yourself to this age, 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. And so I want to challenge us to be renewed, for our minds to be renewed, for our hearts to be renewed in our understanding of holiness. So holiness is not, I'm going to go into like a couple of things, holiness is not. Holiness is not self-sufficiency. Okay, holiness is not self-sufficiency. So if you think about like training a lot for a sport or practicing an instrument or practicing a certain skill and your goal is to become like a master of that. Your goal is to be great at that and excel and accomplish these achievements. That's like the opposite of the Christian life. Our goal and what happens when we live out the Christian life is we become more and more dependent on the Lord. We don't become independent of the Lord. We become dependent on the Lord because we are realizing every day, the more we know God, the more we realize that we are not God and that we need God, right? Spiritual progress tends towards ever more intimate union with Christ. Union with Christ is not about us. Okay, holiness also is not this state of being where everything is super easy and life is good and we always feel really, really close to God. Okay, so when somebody asks you, how's your prayer? If you haven't felt the Lord speaking, that doesn't mean that you're not close to God. That doesn't mean that you're not holy. We're not always going to feel close to God. We're just not. And life isn't always going to be easy. We're going to encounter suffering. We're going to encounter trial. We're going to encounter challenges, like Andrew was saying. Okay, so if we're just equating us saying, I'm holy because I feel close to God right now, what does that mean for when we don't feel close to God, that we're not holy? No, that's not what the Lord says. Holiness is also not a rigorous set of practices that we must undergo to achieve holiness. There's no formula. I remember being at um, a prayer meeting in college and the priest who was giving the exhortation was just like, God doesn't have a plan B and then, or a plan A and then nothing. He's working with what we have. He's working with what we have. And we don't have to do X amount of things to achieve healing, or we don't have to do X amount of things in this perfect formula to achieve holiness or to achieve being close to God. That's not how the Lord works. But holiness is our cooperation with the presence of God within us. And it's attainable for all. We can all be holy. Praise God. We can all be holy. Every person that you meet in your life and that you know in your life can be holy. Because we're made for it. We are made for God. We are made to show God's glory. And unlike anything else in all of creation, we are made in the image and likeness of God, which means that we are made for relationship with him. And isn't this the cry of our hearts? Um, I was so struck by Andrew sharing from John 21 after the resurrection, when Jesus comes and finds Peter, I'm just going to read it again. This is when 
Peter's already caught the fish. Jesus says to them, come have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they realized it was the Lord. Jesus came over, took the bread, and gave it to them in the manner of, and in like manner the fish. This was now the third time Jesus was revealed to his disciples after being raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He then said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Then he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was distressed that he had to say to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And I was just thinking about how Jesus was just breaking down the walls in Peter's heart, the walls of probably a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and embarrassment, feeling really humbled because he knew that Jesus had told him that this was going to happen. Fear, doubt. But the Lord kept asking, Peter, do you love me? And he says the same things to us. He says the same thing to us. Blake, do you love me? Jaslyn, do you love me? Paige, do you love me? And he asks us again and again and again every moment. He asks us, Anna, do you love me? And the cry of our heart when the Lord breaks past the walls of insecurity that we have, when the Lord breaks past the walls of fear that we may have, is yes, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Here I am. Here I am. And it's these times, I think it's the times that I've experienced in my life where I have felt like I have nothing to give. That time of initial conversion in my life, times of grief, saying to the Lord, Lord, I have nothing. I have no merits. I've done nothing to earn your love. I feel empty. I feel exposed. My life is just here. But Lord, where else would I go? There's nowhere to go. Peter was probably like, where would I go but to you? And we can choose to receive God's love and mercy every single day. And I was struck thinking about this, that Peter didn't have to earn it because he never lost it. He never lost the love of Jesus. He never lost it. So he didn't have to do anything to earn it. I imagine that Acts would look a hell of a lot different if Peter was just trying to earn Jesus' love back or trying to prove himself that he was a good apostle. It probably would have looked a lot different. His ministry would have looked a lot different if he was just grasping for success to show the Lord. If he was just grasping and trying to show himself, there would be a lot more pride involved, I think. Probably a lot less conversion. But Jesus offered him the mercy and Peter received it And then he went out in the power of the Holy Spirit and changed the freaking world with his friends. Praise God. So we're called to respond. So this is the paradox, right? It's all from the Lord. It's all grace. It's the Lord's initiative. It's God dwelling within us. 
We've been baptized so the Lord is dwelling within us. The Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. But we need to respond and we need to act. We need to respond to that invitation. And the response isn't going to be easy. But it's going to be worth it. It is worth it. You're living it. I think you probably all say that it's worth it to follow the Lord, even on the hard days. The Catechism says, The way of perfection passes by the way of the cross. There is no holiness without renunciation and spiritual battle. So we live within this spiritual battle. That's part of the context in which we're living our lives in. But we're not just these like spiritual beings, and holiness isn't just this like thing in the clouds. It's lived out in the context of our life. For me, that's the context of being a wife and a mother, serving with SPO, of being a daughter to my parents, of being a friend to my friends, to being a sister to the people that I live in community with in um, Cornerstone. There's context for my life. There's context for my life. And for you, the context of your life is that you're college students. And a lot of you live with, in household or with other Christians, and you're striving to live out a Christian experience in your house, um, living out Christian ideals in your house. You are a part of a small group. You're a brother or a sister to the people in this community. You are a brother or a sister to your peers, to your coworkers, to the people you sit next to in class. You're a child of your parents. There's a context in which you're living out holiness, right? So we're not just like spiritual, we're not spiritual beings just floating around having a good time. Um, we're people in the world. And so our holiness is lived out in the nitty-gritty of life. I want to share from um, 1 John chapter 4. This is a, a, a good word. This is a hard word. This is a hard word that we hear. <clears throat> we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For whoever does not love a brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. If anyone says, I love God but hates his brother, he is a liar. For whoever does not love a brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. How can we love God who we have not seen if we can't love the people in front of us and the people in our life? This is the call of holiness. This is the call of a Christian. The Christian life is this struggle away from pride and selfishness and to struggle towards love and self-gift, giving ourselves away. And so it's God's initiative in the depth of our heart to dwell within us. And we don't just have to act. We, we should be compelled to act. That love that dwells up within us of the Lord has to be expressed in some way. And that's what he's calling us to. So this isn't a formula. This isn't like a quick and easy thing, this one and done thing where we all of a sudden become holy and we love perfectly. This is a lifelong battle, right? I said the Christian life was a life where we become more and more dependent on the Lord. It's become, we become more and more dependent on the Lord 
because we realize our need for him. So that means we're going to encounter our need for him every day. And what you are doing now, what you are doing now, the environment that you are in right now is setting you up so well for the long haul. Really, really, like even the most mundane things that you don't even think about, it's setting you up for the long haul. Making your housemate dinner because they're studying and just doing it, right? Doing your brother or sister's chore, biting your tongue when they don't do their chore. (laughs) What you are doing now has an impact on who you will be in the future and what you're going to do in the future, how you're going to respond to difficult situations in the future. Really, you're building up this virtue now. And I say this in love that um, college is this time, this is like my soapbox, it's always been my soapbox, it's this weird time where a lot of things are just about you. Like you chose your major, you chose your classes, you're choosing what you want to do after you graduate, your time is actually your own, you chose to be here, you chose to be... um, in small group, you chose to be leading in certain ways. You, you're choosing what you're doing with your time. And you've chosen a lot of awesome things, really awesome things. I'm sure a lot of you are studying, I'm sure all of you are studying really cool things. Uh, and that's great. Um, but I think what can happen when we graduate is we realize like, oh, wow, I was really in control of my life before. And now my boss doesn't care what my preferences are at all. They didn't even ask. (laughs) Do I want to be on this project? No. When we enter our vocation, it's not about you. It's not about you. It might be about your religious community. You might take a vow of obedience, and it's really not about you. Praise God. Praise God. My son is awesome. I love him so much, but he doesn't care if I don't sleep through the night. He doesn't care. This baby is going to come in a couple months and like they're not going to care what I want and what I would like my day to look like. So right now what you're doing and the more and more you can die to yourself and sacrifice and love and ask what would serve the people around me? That's going to set you up so well for the long haul and bless you now so holiness is messy and it's not always ideal right and holiness so again holiness just isn't about necessarily what we're doing for our prayer it incorporates that of course of course if we're taking our prayer time if we're dedicating time to the lord but it's also our attitude to the lord our approach to the Lord, our commitment to the Lord, and our approach and our attitude and our commitment to our brothers and sisters. We're not just sacrificing and sacrificing and sacrificing and doing holy things. It's us being merciful. It's us accompanying people in their walk with the Lord, not just plugging them into a program and saying, you're good to go, but walking with them when they don't want to walk with you. It's vulnerability in small group. It's giving up our preferences It's battling our criticism and our negativity. 
Um, when I was a freshman in college, I think I just didn't know how to live out the Christian life. I didn't. I didn't know how to live out the Christian life, and so I hid a lot from having to put into practice my faith. Uh, I hid behind my studies. I hid behind um, the service I was doing. I hid behind taking really long prayer times. Honestly, like that's that's just me. I, that's what I did. I was. I realized at a certain point, I think I am hiding. I think I'm hiding because I don't want to figure out how to love my roommate. I think I'm hiding because I don't really want to have to be challenged to deal with the crap that I'm bringing in my heart that's just there, that's sitting there that I don't know what to do with. I think it's really easy for us to hide even behind good things. And so this is a matter of the heart. This is a matter of the heart. Holiness concerns the heart. In Matthew 5, 23 through 24, it says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there recall that your brother has anything against you, leave your gift there at the altar, go first and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So the gifts that we are giving the Lord are so good, are so good. But if we're recognizing that our heart is not in the right place, that we're meeting resistance to love, we need to deal with that. So radical acts of penance and fasting are great. That's awesome. Your whole house is giving up your pillows and fasting the whole day on Thursdays or whatever. That's great. That's good. But if you're doing these things, you're focusing your energy in these ways, and you're experiencing that you really, really have a problem with your housemate or with somebody in your life, and you're not doing anything to deal with that, there's just something off there, right? If you're being short with your roommate and neglecting the Lord in prayer, but you're doing these things that externally look really, really good, deal with that stuff and then do the stuff that's really good, right? Um, I was thinking about this concept and I was thinking about Ash Wednesday. Uh, I think you probably all experienced the phenomenon of Ash Wednesday, like, who are all these people, and where the heck did they come from? Like, it's a Wednesday. They don't have to be here. They don't have to be here. They, I don't even know if they're going to come on Easter, but they're here on Ash Wednesday, and I think that part of it, like even non-practicing Christians are like giving up things for Lent, and it's like this weird thing, but I think some of it is our culture can really get behind self-improvement and doing these things, setting goals for ourselves and doing these disciplines and all this stuff I think we can all really get behind. That's a good thing. But I think about, you know, if I give up chocolate for Lent, but I'm being like a total jerk to my family, like I, there's just something a little bit off there. Like maybe I should have done something that has to do with my speech, you know? Um, and I think about Paul when he says, I do the thing I do not want to do, and the thing I do do I do not want to do. Right? Something like that. It's a lot of... I want and I do and I don't want to do. He's talking about the heart. He's talking about the heart. He's not just talking about, like, I have a hard time being motivated to exercise, and so I need to, like, set up all these disciplines so that I am better at running or something. Sure, on a physical level, that's great. That's great, and that can improve our character and our discipline. But if we're doing these things and we're neglecting the fear that we have in our heart towards the Lord, if we're neglecting the anger that we have in our heart, there's just something off there. We need to do both. So I want us to ask ourselves, 
where am I meeting resistance in my heart to love? Where am I being distant to my roommates and the people in my life? Where am I turning a blind eye to the opportunities to share the Lord's love to my classmates? Where am I putting myself first, my preferences first? And I don't want us to be discouraged by this because we're all going to have this stuff. And as you're praying about this and as the Lord is bringing things up in your heart and in your mind, there's probably a good reason for why we sin in certain ways. We're not going to sin in every way that's possible, but you probably know the sins that you experience. And there might be a root to those things. There might be a particular wound or experience that you had. Like, yeah, I put up a wall to my housemates because I've been burned bad before. Okay, those things are really, really real. And they're things that the Lord wants to be a part of. And they're things that the Lord wants to conquer in our lives and in our hearts. So let's deal with those, right? There's so much hope here because, right, holiness is attainable. It's attainable, and it's attainable for all, and it's attainable for each of us. A deep, intimate union with the Lord is attainable for all of us. So we're at where we're at right now, and the Lord is working powerfully in each of your lives. I have no doubt about that. I have no doubt about your commitment to the Lord, your love for him, your desire for him. You wouldn't be here on a Thursday night in college worshiping the Lord if you didn't care about God, right? So you are where you are right now, and the Lord desires more and more of your dependence on him. As we're called to be holy, we're made for that relationship with Jesus. And this is the context in which we're living out our life. This is the context in which we're living out holiness. So let's embrace where we are right now and not just look to the future. When I do this, I'll be holy. When I'm able to serve in this way, I'll be holy. Or when this class is done and I have more time, I'll be holy. No, the Lord is here in the presence in the context of our life right now. It's often hidden, but the Lord sees it. And this is a life of joy. And I want to close with a word that I think the Lord has for us. Um, I received this word the other day, and I was thinking it was for the small group that I lead, but I actually think it's for this group. Um, I had an image of the Lord enthroned and the word conversion, and us, like people wearing chain mail that was like all messed up, like out of link and scrunched up and not falling flat and in wrong order. And I just received the sense that the Lord is going to make things in right order. That as we are setting the Lord upon the throne, as we are making him number one before anything else, the Lord before our relationships, the Lord before our service, the Lord before um, what we think other people want from us, the Lord before this talk, the Lord before everything, the Lord as the Lord of all things, that right order comes in our life and that our chain mail lies flat in the way that it should so that we're able um, to persevere, that we're able to take on our crosses and we're able to fight the Christian fight. Amen.